Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of the hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm Charles Sheeland, your other host. And today we're starting the first book of the Divergent series, the aptly named Divergent. And as we like to tell you, every week we're a book club podcast with the Nerd Party Network and we're reading and rereading young adult books and sharing them with each other. And this episode begins the first book of our seventh series. It's really our seventh series. I had no idea. But I think so. That is seriously mind blowing. Like, really? Well, we started with. We started with Percy, Percy Jackson, Jackson then Nicholas Flamel, Twilight, Twilight, Dark Materials. Oh, Dark Materials, Hunger Games, Hunger Games, Giver Quartet, <gasps> the Giver, Divergent. And now on Divergent. I counted correctly. Seven. This is series number seven. Wow. Okay. Wow. Well, we are best friends, and we share these books with each other. And we alternate between series that one of us has read and the other hasn't yet. So you get to hear differing perspectives. One of us is rereading and one of us is reading for the first time. And this is a series that Asia has read before, but I've never read them. So they're brand new to me. Yes. And because you're new, you'll be on summary duty for the entire series since I did it for the Giver Quartet. But before we jump into the plot summary, I just wanted to give kind of a small introduction to the series, which we haven't really, we've done usually, but I just wanted to do it a little bit more formally this time, since this this is a very popular book series, and there's kind of a lot of, I don't know, drama with it, I guess, like, people have lots of mixed thoughts, but anyway, the original book, the first book, Divergent, was published in 2011, with the two subsequent books being published in 2012 and 2013, so obviously it was a very quickly written book series published right one right after the other and they were it was a very popular series especially in that teen the young adult world especially since yet another dystopian novel except for the ending of the final book which obviously we're not going to spoil the ending but we will get to that but that caused the series kind of as a whole I feel like to be reviewed kind of badly and people kind of changed their minds on how they felt about it yeah, the press of the on the last book was really bad. The first two were received quite well, but the I did a little bit of background checking, and the reviews for the third one were really bad because of the ending. Because, yeah, of the ending of how just it left a lot of readers very angry and unsatisfied. But again, we're not going to spoil that. But Veronica Roth, the author, she actually wrote Divergent, the first book, while working on a creative writing degree at Northwestern University, and she wrote the entire book during her senior year winter break. So it was very quickly written, and once she had the story finalized, it was quickly purchased for publication alongside the subsequent books in the trilogy, and it has definitely received some criticism, and this is just the series in general. Not so much, I would say, in this first book, also just when I'm thinking of my personal opinions, of this, like, the world building. It's just not as well fleshed out as, say, like, The Hunger Games, another huge dystopian novel that this novel was probably took inspiration from, obviously. And, again, like we said, it was written, at least the first book was written very, very quickly. And... 
The series is also obviously pretty well known for its movie adaptations that were actually never completed, which that's also a big controversy. But since we're throwback paperback, we'll be mainly focusing on the books, but we'll probably discuss a little bit about the movies. I know I've only seen, I think, the first two movies. And Charles, I think you said you haven't seen any of them. I haven't seen any of them. But yeah, like Asia said, they weren't completed. I believe they split the third book into two because that was all the rage after Harry Potter did that. And there were other reasons too. Yeah, they were planning on splitting the final book into two movies, again, cash grab, but also just because the fans of the series hated the ending so badly that they were probably going to change the ending in the movies, but the movies did so terribly that they no longer, they didn't have a budget. They didn't even produce the fourth movie. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving that intro. I kind of I like that we got to talk a little about the book and the creative process. I actually do know what the ending event is, and that's just because I've kind of absorbed it through like pop culture osmosis. So I actually know what the super unpopular ending is and why the reviews ended up pretty bad. I'm not gonna I'm gonna not let that impact my reading. And I also, like, I only know what happens. I don't actually, like, know how we get to, you know, what causes this really, like, big divergent popularity. Obviously, Asia knows all of it. But I'm just letting you guys know, full disclosure, I do know what that thing is just because I, you know, coming of age during the time when these books were being read. So I know what happened. But I'm, like I said, I'm not letting it impact my experience and now we go to our regular scheduled programming of summary duty. <laughs> so we meet Beatrice, who lives in a post-apocalyptic Chicago, Chicago, Northwestern. She was going to school there. And society is divided into five factions, the Abnegation, Erudite, Amity, Candor, and Dauntless. And you grow up within these factions, and when you're 16, you choose which faction you want to live in. Beatrice was raised in Abnegation, but her aptitude test declared her divergent, which means that she showed the skills for any three of the factions, not just specifically one. She chooses Dauntless and spends a lot of this reading sort of proving herself and testing her strength and bravery. And she has to do all of this initiating period so that she can become a full member of the Dauntless. Meanwhile, she's also trying to find out what being divergent really means and why it's so dangerous, because she's been told not to tell anyone that she's divergent. And that's the plot. Uh, my first impression of the reading was that we're kind of getting this common theme throughout the dystopian books where basically society is the operating way that all these dystopian books have been is that like society has basically defined people based on one characteristic and the characters are always trying to escape those molds. Like, you have that in The Hunger Games, where people are defined by their district. Like, it's your personality is determined by your district. And, mm -hmm. like, that's not representative for every person. And in The Giver, your job is given to you. And you, and then even in all the other communities in The Giver Quartet, each of the communities basically defines you based on something. And, you know, all the characters are trying to escape that. And you even have that, I mean, Harry Potter would not be considered dystopian, but the kids are sorted based on one character trait and you know, they're not, that doesn't actually go into like escaping the character trait because they're all sort of positive, but 
this is just sort of aggressively like you are choosing one of five character traits and that's it. And so I'm expecting that this is going to be, as I was reading it, I was like, I have a feeling that the theme of this work or the arc of this work is going to be escaping this five faction mold. It's not tenable. And so that's, that was my overall impression about the whole reading. I was like, Triss is going to be undermining the faction system. Asia, what about your impressions? So for me, for the Divergent series, yeah, I've only read this entire series one time, just once. And like I said, I've seen the movies, the first two, I think, once. And I think I just kind of forgot how much I love this book series because I will admit the ending of the series did ruin it for me. I agree with people on that, but... I do feel at least this first book from what I remember and what we've read so far, it's just a very enjoyable story. And this was one of my favorite books. I feel like that I read like as a young teenager or whatever. And that during that time, just because there's no love triangle in this book, like as we can clearly see, like the romance that's brewing between Triss and four, it's just the two of them. There's no weird love triangle going on. Like there is in twilight, like there is in hunger games. And for me, like I would probably say that, this this section of the Divergent, this first half, is honestly probably my favorite reading we've done so far in the podcast. Because as much as I love like the Hunger Games or even maybe like Twilight, which I feel like reading this with you maybe dislike Twilight a little bit more, but I really love the Hunger Games. But I'm much more familiar with the Hunger Games as a story because I've had read the prequel recently and I've watched the movies multiple times whereas Divergent like I said it was kind of a one and done for me and I haven't read it in years so I kind of got that experience of almost like reading it for the first time again which for all our avid readers out there that's just the best thing ever is reading something for the first time so for me this was kind of like getting that kind of feeling of like I know something that are happening but I definitely don't remember everything so I just really, really enjoyed this reading. Like, I didn't want to put it down. I didn't want to stop after we got to the section we were reading for the episode. Yeah, I didn't want to put it down either. I don't know if I would say it was my favorite because I really loved the Hunger Games prequel and I really loved finally getting into Twilight and reading Breaking Dawn Part 2. See, for you, both of those books were... New. New. They were new. Whereas for me, I mean... This is all sales for me. I'm like, I just haven't enjoyed. But this is also. I haven't enjoyed your picks as much as you've enjoyed mine. My picks are darker and much more serious. And yeah, which I like. I need a little. I mean, also, this is besides like Twilight. This is a lot of action. This is a lot of action. And also, like, there's a lot of like sexual tension, which I don't know about you, but like, I'm enjoying it a lot. Oh, yeah. I I was, I am too. I'm excited that there's no love triangle. I'm, no, I, I total page turner. Like, I've really enjoyed this. I mean, I've enjoyed everything we've read, except really for the Giver Quartet <laughs> and Percy Jackson. Actually, yeah, let's be real. I didn't like Percy Jackson or the Giver Quartet very much. But I, I, I mean, I've always had love, different re- I didn't love his dark materials either. It was too long. I loved his Dark Materials, but I'd recently read it, so that kind of took the magic away. That was like I'd read it within a year and a half before. Anyway, I'm enjoying this, and I agree. Like the new book factor of it is really it's working for me as well. So let's dive into the specifics. So just world building, we have these five factions: Candor, which is people who value honesty 
abnegation, people who value selflessness, dauntless, who value bravery, erudite, who value intelligence, and amity, who value peacefulness and kindness. And basically, our character Beatrice is raised as an abnegation, but during the test when she's supposed to assess her skills, she shows characteristics of abnegation, dauntless, and erudite. And she's told that because her test didn't show one thing, it showed multiple, that she is divergent, and that is really, really bad, and she should never tell anyone. Her tester says that she was, like, that she got abnegation as her results, and that she should never tell anyone she's divergent. Before we get into that, I have a story about the name Beatrice. Asia, I don't know if you know this, but if I was a girl, my name would have been Beatrice. That's what your parents were going to name you? But no, it's worse. (laughs) It's worse. Because my parents, for I may have mentioned this on the podcast, but I was born and raised in Germany. This may have been mentioned. I don't know. But my parents were in Germany when they were, my mom was pregnant with me. And the German name for Beatrice is Beate. B-E-A-T-E, beat in English. And they wanted to name me Beata. And I've definitely told you this, Asia, because you've no, laughed at you the fact haven't. that my name would have been Beat. But No, you haven't told me this. Like my the spelling of my name literally would have been Beat. And like a like not wait, like well, a vegetable it would have been beat. like when you like in English though, it would have been pronounced it would have been Beatrice or it would have been Beat. They probably would have wanted me to try to get Americans to say Beata, which try well, to say it. I would say I, I think I could see you as a Beatrice. That seems like that would fit you. But I wouldn't have been Beatrice. I would have been the German Beatrice Beata. So that would have been too much. But <laughs> well, anyway, that's my every time I read the name Beatrice, I'm like that would have been me if I was a woman. But here I am. I'm Charles. Anyway. <gasps> Well, back to the story when we're meeting Beatrice in Abnegation and how she was raised there. All I was thinking about how being in Abnegation seems like the worst faction. Like, you're literally taught that other people are more important than you. Like, I just, I was reading this and I was like, she had a terrible upbringing. This sounds awful. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we could all use humility, but not being allowed to run because running is self-indulgent or useful, like, seems more than a little ridiculous. And as we mentioned, our protagonist, Beatrice, doesn't fit into the mold of the five factions. Like I said, rebelling against the system. Yes, and that's a nice segue because in addition to the factions, we also have the factionless, who are basically painted as the unhoused and low in the social pecking order. And we actually meet a factionless person pretty early on right after Beatrice's uh, test, her aptitude test to determine which faction is best for her, we already kind of see that Beatrice, we get this little demonstration of her that she's a fighter because a factionless man like kind of not attacks her, but like grabs onto her, like asking her if she has any food. And she's like already like prepared to like elbow in the face. Like she's initially obviously has that feeling of being scared, But it immediately turns into, I'm ready to, like, knock him out and then run away. Like, so definitely, like, much more fearless for an abnegation girl who all she's ever been taught is to be selfless. And this this scene or whatever just kind of reminded me of how I feel, you know, we have mentioned before we live in New York City. So we obviously take the subway. And unfortunately, there's lots of people who are just, you know, looking to bother you. So 
and it's usually men, but, you know, when they're trying to mess with me or Charles or anybody, you know, you just always have to be on guard. So I definitely felt, <laughs> felt for Beatrice in that moment. I did too. I felt the same. I was like, yeah, this reminds me of the worst part of my day when I'm going to work and someone talks to me that I don't want to talk to. <laughs> But yes, so then we get to dive into the choosing ceremony in which each 16-year-old gets to pick what faction they want to. And like I've already said, and I'll continue to say, abnegation honestly just seems the worst. Like the night before at the dinner table, like Beatrice talks about how the kids can't talk at the dinner table. Like not until you've like turned 16 and like chosen abnegation are you allowed to speak. You're just supposed to sit there and listen so absolutely not. Like, I was just like, what is this? Who would ever want to choose to be in this? Like, it definitely just seems like the worst one. And for the choosing ceremony, the choosing ceremony is in like this big building and it's like 20 flights up and the elevator is like crowded. So Beatrice's father is like, well, we'll just take the stairs. So all the abnegation people, because also they all like have like specific uniforms. So all the abnegation were like, uh, they were great. They wear groutfits. They just were completely <laughs> gray outfits. I mean, also, again, if you've seen the movie, they you get to see the actual visualization of that. But they all wear these all gray clothes. And so there's just a whole herd of gray people running up 20 <laughs> flights of stairs. But they're not running. Stairs. They're walking. Because running. No, they are stomping up there. Like, I guess they must have, like, incredible endurance and, like, low heart rates. But I'm like... We live in a fourth floor walk up right now, and I still get out of breath walking up just those three flights, 20 flights. I would never make it. That's so many stairs. That's oh. like five, that's like hundreds of stairs. Oh, see, my family, again, we lived in Europe, would go to all, you know, my parents, we'd go to all those churches, those ancient churches, and walk up There's those thousands. 20 of, flights of stairs? Probably not 20, but like we would do like thousand stair church towers. But not every day, obviously. I, it's, it's not a great system. And yeah, the only benefit of being in abnegation would have great legs. But anyway, that right there was yet another reason not to choose abnegation. Um, no, thank you. I'll take the elevator, please. <laughs> yeah, they must have really nice legs in abnegation, but that's about it. And then there's big drama at the ceremony. Yes, because so like we said, Beatrice finds out that she's divergent and she's She's having this whole like internal conflict of should she choose abnegation and like stay with her family? Because there's this whole thing of if you don't choose where you came from, like it's faction before blood. So if she chooses a different faction, she might never see her family again. Like she may never interact with them ever again. And as much as she's like, she doesn't feel she belongs in abnegation, she loves and cares about her family. And she's convinced that her older brother, Caleb, is also going to choose, is going to choose abnegation. And so that's also, like, making her think, well, maybe then I can choose because she's always admired the Dauntless people. Like, also, we haven't quite talked about them yet, but the Dauntless people, like, they just run around like literal hooligans, like, 24-7. They run, they jump on trains, like, unnecessarily. Like, so I just have to put that out there. So this is what this little abnegation girl is like, look at them running around. Like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Like, what? (laughs) I just, I think as we read the story, I think you're going to see, like, as much as I do love it, like, it is a little ridiculous. I mean, you'll see. But um, 
Anyway, back to what we were talking about. The drama in the ceremony is that Caleb, her brother, who just seems like he's so great, like with all the abnegation practices of, you know, being really good with the selflessness, he actually switches to erudite, the smart people, the intelligent people. And Beatrice is like shocked because she's like, oh my gosh, now my parents are going to lose both their children because I don't know if I can choose abnegation. And she ultimately decides to go to Dauntless. So it was just a terrible day for their parents. Like, they thought that they were probably going to keep both their children. Instead, they lost both of them. But obviously, because no one wants to be that selfless. No one wants to be that selfless. No one should have to be that selfless. Also, like, how do teenagers, how are teenagers expected to choose a life of selflessness? Yeah. Like, 16-year-olds, the whole world is about them. Yeah. (laughs) And, yeah, like you mentioned, it's a little scandalous when... children choose to leave their faction especially abnegation which is like clearly not the most culty but like it's probably the most different than the other factions because it's the it's like all about not having a personality whereas all the other ones are literally like about your personality (laughs) and we do get the vibe though during that that we should mention that Beatrice's mom gives her look that's kind of like I knew you were going to change and I support you and I love you which Beatrice is like thank goodness she feels that way because you know I literally chose the opposite faction and we we skipped over the fact that during the ceremony they have to cut their hand open with a knife and sprinkle their blood in a bowl to declare their affiliation like that's so weird as Hermione Granger would say that's barbaric Like, also, I don't really, I mean, unless it's, like, a binding magical contract, which I don't think it is. This is dystopian. I don't understand why they need to, like, you know, like, why it has to involve blood. Why can't they just, like, drop a paper with their name? But anyway. I don't know. It's barbaric, like you said. It's barbaric. Or, or, or more importantly, if it doesn't come back later, this is going to be one of those things of, like, she's an early writer. And, like, it seems dramatic, but, like, in the context of it, it doesn't really fit the book. Well, also, but I would say this whole saying of, like, maybe faction before blood, you're giving your blood to your faction. That's what I would describe. That's if, like, if if she thought of that. That's what I would assume the symbolism is because that's a thing. That's, like, a, a slogan, a, saying, a motto, yeah. a saying they say throughout the book that this idea of faction before blood. Once, like, again, like I said, if the kids, if you choose a different faction... Your family no longer matters. You belong to your faction. That is above everything else. You cut all blood ties. So by them literally cutting their hand, sprinkling their blood over the symbol of the faction, you're kind of, you know, going with that. Going with that saying of, yes, I am committing myself to this faction. Literally with my blood. I don't know. But like you said, she could have just put that in there to be dramatic. I don't know. <laughs> well, trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. No, I mean, I like that explanation that you could, in a literature class, you could write that. So I want to play a little game. What would you have been raised as? And then what would you choose? So basically, like, what would your parents be if they were a faction? And what would you have chosen? Okay, well, I already know what I would have chosen, but which I'll get to that in a second. But I guess I have no idea what my parents, I, when I was reading the script, I was trying to really think about this. Also, my parents are two completely different people. That's the thing. I was like, it's kind of hard to so determine that. So it's hard, that, hard to but. determine that. But I was thinking of like, okay, definitely not abnegation. Like, no. That's also just the worst faction. I would not want to come from abnegation. Like, that's embarrassing. Um, Candor, 
no. People who always tell the truth, those people don't actually exist. And if they do, they're kind of stupid. So I don't know. I just, definitely not that one. And then erudite, I, that's also, like, not my parents' personalities. Like, the in the sense of, like, just always striving for intelligence. Also, I mean, as we're going to see, the erudite are kind of the villains in the book series because they're kind of, like, very power-hungry and greedy because they have knowledge. And because they have knowledge, they feel they're better than everyone else. So, like, I don't think that's my parents. And I don't think that they're amity either because amity to me are like the tree huggers which spoiler alert that's the faction i want to be with (laughs) um so then by process of elimination i guess my parents are from dauntless maybe because i mean my dad was in the military he works um your mom is dauntless my mom is dauntless like she works out a lot my dad has worked well, I don't know if I should say, but he, he's like, works for the police. I'm not going to say where, I don't know if I'm supposed to not say that, but so like my parents, I feel like that's what they would be like daring, I guess. But yeah. I can't imagine that now. Like when I was writing this, I was like, I can kind of put my parents in the same faction, but I was like, I could never put Asia's parents in the same faction. But if I had to put them both in the same place, because how this book would work, I would say my parents were Dauntless. And as we said, the Dauntless also seems to run everywhere. So I definitely wouldn't want to be doing that. And I would 100% be joining Amity, which the one, like, we will talk about this in a little bit, but like the one person we meet from that Beatrice knows from Abnegation, who joins Amity, like, he talks about, he's like, don't you want to be happy? And, I, and he's like, I just want to be happy. And I'm like, yeah, I just want to be happy. Let's go hug some trees and sing songs. And they talk about how everybody from Amity are like the artists. Like, let's paint flowers and let's just be happy. So, yes, I would want to be Amity. That's what I would want to be in the fields, in like the they're always in like red and yellow dresses, like in the movie and stuff like Amity. A hundred percent. That's that's the if I had to begin one sounds like the best one. Well, I think and. I think that you would, well, I want to hear what you think, but I think that my parents, thus I, would have been raised in Erudite, and then I probably would have chosen to stay there. Yes, and then, yeah, and then you would have ended up evil and corrupt. (laughs) Okay, well, I don't know that right now. I mean, I obviously, we know there's a rivalry between the Abnegation and the Erudite, but just, like, baseline faction, I think that my parents... Oh, for sure. Yeah, that definitely would be for (laughs) both you and your parents. Yeah. Uh, you anyway. you could I mean you're a dancer you could have chose Amity come with me to be the artist dancing in the field that's true maybe that I mean you definitely would have been raised erudite but like I think that you would be on the cusp I would be divergent <gasps> oh, I would be divergent they would kill ah! you <laughs> <laughs> apparently I'm a villain or I'm gonna get killed okay great I love dystopian anyway we can agree that neither of us would have chosen Dauntless because neither of us wants not. to That's run the one around. I was like, absolutely. I mean, actually, no. I think Abnegation is my like number one. I could <laughs> never be in. Then Dauntless would be number two. Oh no! I think that we're gonna get to a reason very quickly as to why Abnegation would be above Dauntless for me. But I guess so. Beatrice chooses Dauntless. She becomes the first jumper to just jump into a pit, which is Dauntless headquarters. So, you know, that's a great way to start. And she chooses the name Triss because, you know, Beatrice doesn't exactly scream, you know, jump off buildings. Yeah, which honestly is a much better name. Like, I've been cringing the whole episode calling her Beatrice because she is Triss, like the rest of the series. So it's just a better name. And we also quickly learn that once she joins the Dauntless, 
often starts the whole initiation process that only 10 Dauntless initiates will be made members. No matter how many people like picked Dauntless, only 10 people get to be made official members. The rest of them will either die, I guess, or fail and become factionless. Which I, this really annoys me and also feels like it could, especially given the context of it being a younger author, feels like a thing for dramatic effect, but that doesn't actually necessarily make a lot of sense because it's like, I mean, I understand that like someone who like doesn't jump off the train or like dies during combat training, like they are not fit to be dauntless. I don't think that's a great system, obviously. I don't like, I'm not, I'm not endorsing that. Don't cancel me online. But like, I understand like, you know, this is the faction of like the brave and courageous. Like if you're not willing to jump off a moving train, like you don't belong here. I understand people who like fail initiation, but I don't understand why you have to like cull the people who are choosing it. And especially afterwards, the fact that like people choose their faction and then like, they're like, you might not make it at all. Like you, or like the fact that like some people will like that definitely some people will not make it to the end, will not be initiated or inducted, even though they make it to the end of initiation just feels like a ridiculous system to me because also like, how are they supposed to know when they choose a faction that like they have to be in like the top 10 percentile of their class. Well, probably the daunt because it's the big thing of too, like there's the dauntless born people who obviously choose their own faction dauntless. They probably know that they're probably taught that it's the people who are transfers. And that's not fair, I think, because, but also but I think, I mean, especially once we get more into like dauntless beliefs and stuff, it totally makes sense with like what they believe in. I'm not saying that it's an efficient way of like, losing all these people to just become essentially homeless factionless like but they say the factionless they have to do the jobs that no one wants to do they're janitors and like the garbage men and stuff like that also what i think would make it more psychologically interesting is if people knew that and they still chose like people who knew that like only 10 people become dauntless every year and you still choose to go for it that shows someone who's brave that shows someone who is courageous whereas like culling people like after they've committed they're like dauntless or factionless like i've made that choice and then you're like psych only 10 of you are going to become dauntless that doesn't test bravery that doesn't test skill i would definitely be interested to know because like as we're going to talk about like it seems like the dauntless values there's there's definitely uh, with new with new leadership and stuff so i wonder if it's always been like that or if that's a new thing but yeah i mean i totally agree with you and either way like again or talk about this story isn't as well fleshed out of like, she might not have even, the author, she might not have even thought about that. And she might have just been like, well, this is more dramatic effect, obviously, because now well, also, of course, because everyone's going to try this much harder because not everyone's going to make yeah, it. Yeah, and we need it. And it's, it's driving the plot. And like, there can be a perfectly good reason for it. But like, so far, it just doesn't really fit into the world that like, you choose your system and then psych, this faction is like, sorry, you don't get to like, only 10 of you are going to make it. Uh, that just doesn't really feel operable to me, but. But I guess they're kind of just saying that it's like, if you chose Dauntless, you should be ready for anything. I guess. Because it's literally well, the hardest. To me, it would be the hardest faction to initiate into. Oh, no. For me, it would be abnegation. Having to shut up all the time. I couldn't do that. I guess Having to like be nice to people all the time. Absolutely not. 
I wonder how many people like actually choose abnegation. Like, well, we'll talk about that in a bit too. I'm sure. Well, but for we should people mention... who aren't from abnegation, like I'm saying, like, I think that would probably be pretty low. <laughs> I mean, well, we know Trissa's mom, but anyway, that's jumping ahead. So we should mention that there's a guy who's a trainer for the Dauntless. His name is Four, and I was immediately convinced that he was love interest. Like, he picked her out of the net, and I was like, oh, that's the man. That's her husband. Oh, yes, definitely. But I definitely had one question for you because we learned that his name is Four, which is obviously a very odd name. And I was just wondering if throughout the reading, had you come up with any theories as to why he chose that name? Because obviously they say when you get to Dauntless, you can, like, change your name. So we're assuming that's a name he chose for himself, not his given name from birth. I do have a theory. I'm going to save it for the end of the episode, but I do have a theory. But, you know, I could make up a fun one right now on the spot if you want. That's not my actual theory. We can save it to the end. Fine. I guess you don't want to hear that. Well, anyway. Yeah, we'll save it to the end. But she, (laughs) she thinks about his arms too much for this to be, like, platonic only. Like, it's immediately clear that she has a crush on him. Oh, yeah, but she's still very intimidated by him because he's obviously one of her instructors and he's a little bit older, which I don't know if you caught it, but he's 18 and she's 16. So, like, he's not, like, some middle-aged man. He's still he's still a reasonable age for me getting with. Um, I mean... But also, what I wrote down is because she... Tris notes that she's like how four is clearly like the honorable, hot, like dauntless. <laughs> honorable, hot. This is what I wrote down. And Eric, who is one of their other instructors, who's also a dauntless leader, is like the stupid, like ruthless dauntless. Like it's kind of like they represent these two sides of like four, you know, is what dauntless like used to be like about having honor and about bravery and like real courage whereas eric is just like let's just see who's the bravest by like fighting each other till we knock each other out like it's just super like super violent and like over the top for no real reason i think those are the key words eric is violent and ruthless and four isn't necessarily those things but i think that violent is a huge part of it and this is where i know i could never be in Dauntless because they start training and the first training activity, they start shooting firearms. And I was like, yeah, that's going to be a hard pass for me because I don't really think civilians need to have guns. So I definitely could not be a Dauntless and on the first day be like firing a gun. Well, technically the Dauntless are like, they serve kind of like, not like, not necessarily the military, but but they're yeah, like the guards, like they protect the gate. Like there's a big gate fence around, around like the, the whole community and they like protect it so obviously it makes sense why like they deal with like weapons and stuff um but i would have started with bows and arrow but yes <laughs> but i obviously have the same thought like i said dauntless is just definitely not the place for me i mean i was even when we were getting to some stuff i mean i would i would take abnegation i guess over some of the things that they make them do like the part of their training they each have to fight each other like until one person gets, like, knocked out, literally, like, passes out. And Christina, who's one of Triss's, like, becomes Triss's, like, best friend there. Like, when she shows a moment of, like, fear, 
Eric forces her to hang onto a railing, like, waiting for her death for, like, five minutes. Like, she could have died, like, to prove her bravery. Like, yeah, no thanks. But through all this, Tris is doing okay. She's obviously, she's very small and, like, pretty weak. But she's trying, and she's slowly but surely improving. And she's very smart. Like, they end up having to play a game of capture the flag. And she's smart enough to think to climb up on the Ferris wheel, which, like, this is a, another, like, sexual tension scene <laughs> with four. Oh, yeah. Um, But she climbs up to, like, look for the enemy's flag. So she, like, thinks smarter. Like, she's thinking about, like, working smarter, not harder. And, again, we also know, like she said, she was the first person to jump into, the, like, the Dauntless headquarters, which, you know, does kind of help get a little name for herself. Obviously, she's the only abnegation transfer, like, from for this, like, class of initiates. Um. So, obviously, that that's she's the first jumper. They call her like the stiff. Like that's the you know like derogatory term. I guess yeah. they use for the abdication. But, but like, but it's important that you know she's doing all right. Like, she's doing all right for especially basically everything was against her, and she's like getting through it. And she does make it through the first round of initiation. Yeah, and it's pretty clear that Tris has feelings for four. And they're definitely reciprocal. Yes. I mean, even like the whole imagery of them on the Ferris wheel of like them climbing on top of each other and above each other. And then like it's and then they're staring at each other and admitting their fears while like alone and vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, it's all there. They're definitely feeling it. And I think even by the Ferris wheel, she's gone like not only like at the beginning, she's a little apprehensive about him, but it's that feeling of like when you have a crush on someone and you're like scared at first and you're like, Oh my God, he's so mean. Um, or like, Oh my God, he's so strict. Like, okay. So <laughs> I don't know what those voices. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So yes, we get lots of the arm muscles and the touching, like every time his skin makes contact with her, like, like she flakes <gasps> out. Okay. Too much. Um, but we do find out the four is actually afraid of heights because as they're climbing up, he's like, she can tell like his voice is getting a little strained. And, you know, that's just, you know, I feel like the perfect little flaw, like to make him even more likable because you're like, he's this tough guy, but he's afraid of heights. Like, are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> Asia, but then- I hate to break it to you. Four is not real. He is a fictitious character. I know. I'm talking about just, like, the writing of, like, making that decision of, like, are you kidding me? Like, you got this perfect man, and then you give him, like, this perfect flaw that, like, kind of humanizes him a little bit. But it's not, like, an actual, like, But it's not an actual flaw. Like, it's not, like, my flaw is, like, I beat up women. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's something. <laughs> that's not a flaw. That's a personality disorder. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's something that's, like, it's a flaw and something it's they have to work through, but it's charming. not going to affect, like, their relationship or something. Like, you know what I mean? Absolutely. No, I agree. I think your, your point is well That's what I mean. Well That's taken. what I meant, like, for how, how Veronica Roth, like, decided to make him. But anyway, so then a little bit later, like, Al, who's, like, one of the other initiates that, uh, initiates that um, Tris is, like, good friends with, and he kind of has a crush on her, he is, like, really struggling with the process, because he's, like, a big, burly guy, but, like, he doesn't, he's a big softy. He should have went into Amity. Um, he doesn't like hurting people, and so he's been kind of failing, and he basically, like, tries to stand up to Eric, and this is their learning how to throw knives, and 
Eric basically is like a punishment is like go stand in front of like the target and like four is going to throw knives at you. Like that, that, that was to prove your bravery and like you're not allowed to flinch again. Who wants to be in Dauntless? No one. Only crazy people. But since Tris, like without thinking is like, I'll do it. Like, or she, she says like anybody can do that. And then Eric's like, how about you take his place then? So she takes his place and she's obviously like, four's really good. Like, he's not going to hit me. And they're like making eye contact and he's throwing the knives at Tris. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> There's so much tension in this room. Like, is he going to kill her? Is he not? Is he going to nick her? Which he does nick her a little bit on the ear. But I don't know. The whole thing was like very sexy. I, I just. Well, you could definitely say the knife is a metaphor for something that he could be throwing at her. Okay, moving on. And <laughs> it's there. It's there. It's there. Speaking of which, since we're talking about four a lot, Tris kind of starts to think about, you know, which faction four came from and if he's not actually Dauntless born because based on, like, he says something to her and, like, makes a comment that makes her think. I think he makes a comment about, like, abnegation. I can't remember what it was. And she was thinking, like, I wonder where he came from that, like, makes him, like, dislike abnegation or something. Like, maybe he's not from Dauntless. And I was just wondering if you had any idea of where he's, if he's not Dauntless born, like what, of, like what faction would he have come from? I definitely don't think he's Dauntless born. I think he's probably either Amity or Erudite. Um, I th- <laughs> a tree hugger. Well, because he's, he's really smart, but he's also mm-hmm. like a bit of a softy when it comes to Triss. Like he gets drunk and he's like, oh my God, you're so pretty. Like, you know. You know, I, but I think Erudite, because if he has a distaste for abnegation, he was probably raised to dislike abnegation in Erudite, which we know Erudite Mm -hmm. really doesn't like the abnegation. And he's really smart. Like we've seen that he is pretty smart. So that's my first guess is Erudite. Second guess would be Amity. I guess Candor. And then Dauntless, because I don't think he was Dauntless born. But. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was, or I mean, maybe he could be have been originally abnegation, and that would explain why her mom thought he looked familiar. But I think that Tris would remember him then because he'd only been two years older than her. <laughs> yeah. So we will see. I I think we'll find out in this book where he's from. I'm pretty sure we're gonna find out. Which we'll see if your theory pans out. It's gonna be right. But what did you say? I said it's gonna be right. Okay, um, but we should also talk about the visitation day, which is where all the people's, the 16-year-old, whatever, their families can come visit them, or you get to see your parents after, you know, choosing your permanent faction. And of course, you know, Tris is like, my parents are not going to come because they hate me, blah, blah, blah. But her mom ends up showing up, which is really, really nice. And her mom, Natalie, comes, and she, like, knows a lot about Dauntless initi- initiation, initiation. And Tris is like, oh my god, my mom was Dauntless born, scandal. And then, but more importantly, her mom is like, I still love you for choosing Dauntless, which was nice. Oh yeah, very, very sweet. But more importantly, she makes a comment about how a lot of kids raised in abnegation end up, oh, well, first of all, they talk about how Tris is divergent, like, Trish is able to kind of, yes. like, confess this to her mother because her mom's like, what happened in your test? And she's like, well, I... Well, her mom's like, you're divergent, right? Yeah, basically. Like, 
Which I don't know if you. Well, I'm not going to say anything. I'll ask you in a second. Um, her mom basically is like, you're divergent or whatever. And she talks about how a lot of kids raised in abnegation end up divergent, which we kind of said, like, it's when you have traits from more than one faction, like you can't really fit into a box. And I was thinking that maybe that's because, you know, the idea of learning to be selfless is something that most people are not born with that trait. That's something that like, you're usually, I mean, I feel like human nature is more like survival and like self-preservation. So your automatic instinct wouldn't be to be selfless. So I feel like if you're raised in an environment where all you're taught is to be selfless, it's going to be much easier to pick up those other instincts or other traits just naturally without having that having to be like coaxed into you. So to me, it would make sense why people from abnegation would be more likely to be divergent than like somebody from erudite or candor or something because Obviously, if you know how to be selfless, you probably already, if you're an intelligent person, if you're a brave person, if you're an honest person, like, you know what I mean? You could have those different traits, but like selflessness is just like something that like a lot of people don't necessarily have. And it's something that like needs to be taught. So to me, that would just make sense. I totally agree. Also, because like abnegation is about suppressing parts of you. So, like, it's about, or it's about turning off your selfish parts. So, one, people are more likely to have things about themselves they don't know necessarily because they've spent their whole life not thinking about, like, themselves. And all of the other, like, abnegation is about, you know, again, turning off, like, even, like, the good parts of yourself. And all of the other factions, the other four, are about good parts of yourself intrinsically and then, like, bolstering those, like, a strong sense of like honesty and honor. And then you define yourself based on that. Whereas like, like I said, abnegation is kind of the only one that like turns you off. Whereas the other four like heighten something about you. So it would make sense that you have like, maybe have something latent in your personality that you just haven't been exploring because you were, you know, turning off your personality for abnegation. And Yes, so I agree. That I think that it, it definitely makes sense that abnegation would be likely to basically have a lot of people who maybe don't necessarily fit that. And also, you know, stepping back a little bit picture, like hopefully you as a human being fit more than one of these boxes. Like, Oh, for sure. Like, as, you're sa- as I was saying, the system is not tenable, but like you want to, you know, as a well-rounded human, hopefully you have like some selflessness, and some honesty in your life. Yes. But also, just going back to Natalie, Trish's mom, for a second, because how we said, so we learned that she was born in Dauntless and chose abnegation, and she knows or, like, had suspected that Tris is divergent. I can't remember if, like, they really say why, but do you have an idea of, like, why she would know that and why her as a Dauntless-born would choose to go into abnegation? I think that she might, like, why her mom would have chosen to leave Dauntless. Like, maybe one, her mom didn't want, you know, to get murked, you know, for, or, like, be kicked out of the faction because, you know, she knew that some of them wouldn't make it. And also, maybe her mom was already sort of on the trail of, like, divergence. Okay. 
I, I feel like I can't say anything else because I, I, I'm pretty sure I remember why. Um, and I, they didn't really say it yet. So I'm just not going to say anything else on this, but just a note for like that. Yeah. I mean, we definitely want to know. And Tris even says, she's like, why would I have chosen to go from like Dauntless who are quite self, uh, what is the word I'm thinking of? Self-indulgent and to the complete opposite. Also, like, her mom doesn't really seem that, like, perfect fit. She's like, your dad is being selfish right now. Like, and Trish is like, oh, my God. She just said dad is being selfish. Like, which is <laughs> super not abnegation of her. So. But anyway. And again, abnegate. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that's her mom, which we'll get more on her, I'm sure, later on in the reading. But we also get that Natalie, Trish's mom, she tells Trish that she wants her to go see Caleb at the erudite compound when she finishes her like initiation stuff like i think she's basically like when she makes it in to dauntless because i think like right now they're not really allowed to leave the compound like without other uh dauntless people but when she finishes to go to him to tell him to research the simulation serum which you know at that point like tris has no idea what that is or like what she's talking about and the reason why Natalie can't just go herself is because abnegation are no longer allowed in the erudite compound because throughout this like part of the book like erudite and abnegation have been going through this whole back and forth battle which I don't think we said but abnegation like run the government they're like the politicians they run the city community whatever you want to call it because obviously since they're supposed to be these selfless people it will make sense that you'd put the selfless people in charge of the government but erudite who are supposed to be superior intelligence and stuff think that the abnegation people are basically like full of crap and like hoarding things for their own faction and stuff because they don't think because they can't believe possibly believe that anybody could be that selfless like they just think that they're corrupt and so like there's this ongoing like political battle between them and so also the erudite as you mentioned earlier because they're smarter than everyone else and they have knowledge they think like well we could definitely run things better also i mean the abnegation seem really nice but like it doesn't really seem like that great of an idea to have one group kind of just decide everything like it again not that great of a system but and the erudite are also attacking trissa's dad because he's an abnegation leader and again, Natalie's like being diversion is super bad. Like, don't tell anybody. And then she also tells Tris to like definitely pass initiation, but like don't draw attention to yourself. And like if you do too well, that will also draw attention to you. So like stay mediocre, but also pass, which is like kind of a hard balance to hit. I mean, right now, like Tris just basically has to, well, the first task, she has to like really raise her level. And then we'll get to the second tasks where she has to like bring her level down. Yes. And so we've kind of been neglecting the other Dauntless initiates and we don't have, a, we don't really have a ton of interaction with the Dauntless born ones, but the transfers, like I've briefly mentioned, we have Christina, who's Triss's basically like best friend and Al, who I kind of mentioned is the big burly guy. He has a crush on her. And then there are some other bullies like Molly and then the main psychopath and antagonist, I would say, is Peter, who stabs Edward, one of the other initiates who actually ranks number one in round one. So 
Edward gets number one, Peter gets number two, and because of that, he stabs Edward, like, in the middle of the night in the eyeball for outranking him. So that's terrifying, and Ed ends up leaving, like, the next day, and he had, like, a girlfriend who was also, like, probably not going to make it, so they just left to go be factionless, which is just crazy when you think about it. Yeah, it's... And they came from, like, Amity, right? Or Candor, maybe. It doesn't matter. They're gone. I don't remember, but yeah. Yeah, I couldn't keep track of all the other people. I, I was know. Like, all I know is Christina came, Christina came from Candor. Will, who's like kind of Christina's like buddy, like maybe romantic interest for her. He's from Erudite. And then Al, I believe, is from Candor. He's from Candor because yeah. they talk about his parents coming. So the mo- majority of the people are Candor or Erudite. Erudite. Yeah, no one it's came from Erudite. Amity. She's the only one and from she's Abnegation. she's the only one from Abnegation, yeah. And was there anybody from Abnegation? No, I don't think so. Probably not, because they're like polar opposites. Yeah, I don't think anyone came from Amity. And yes, it was disgusting when Peter stabbed Edward in the eye. That was pretty disgusting. Oh, oh, I don't know anything about it. And we should mention, Triss sneaks off with Uriah, and Uriah is one of the Dauntless Born Initiates. And they go ziplining off this 100-floor building, and I think I would have done that. Like, if they'd taken me with them, gone in the elevator for 100 floors would take a long enough time anyway. Like, my fear of heights wouldn't have kicked in on floor 100. So I would have done it, and that sounds, like, really fun. But also terrifying. But fun. And then after the zip line and coming back to the Dauntless headquarters, Tris basically says that she feels her best when she gets to be an individual which, again, goes to my sort of theory of that the whole story is going to be about an individual, like, being an individual not belonging to these systems, of these factions of five. And, you know, Triss is going to lead the divergence out of the shadows and allow people to be themselves. Like, I'm calling it now. Maybe not quite so neatly, but, like... I think that's a pretty good prediction to make for where this story is going. But... I mean, she's literally like, I don't fit in because I'm so smart. But also, like, I'm generally a nice person. But also, I want to jump off of trains. Okay. Like, and clearly, like, there are more people that are divergent than, like, it's just, it's not just her. Yes. And so then for the second stage of the initiation, it's more about bravery of the mind. So this is where they have to go through some simulations, basically. And for Tris, the first simulation for her involves, like, hundreds of crows like attacking her pecking her to death and well when i was reading this we just all know that charles would have just died right there on the spot if his simulation had been the crows attacking him and pecking him to death he would have never he would have never made it you know that was uncalled for to bring up a hard time a hard moment in my life uh yeah when we first met like Asia and I went to the Metropolitan Museum and a bunch of birds almost attacked me and almost murdered me. It was, and nobody was, the birds were not paying you any attention. There were about five billion pigeons and they were trying to five kill Five billion pigeons? That would have, like, it would have been a gray cloud, like a storm cloud if there would have been that many pigeons they, in the It sky. was basically that. It was a sunny day and then all the pigeons attacked me and it was okay. dark and terrifying. That is and a severe exaggeration. And Asia is bringing back haunting moment in my life anyway i'm just gonna get over that 
I cannot believe that's what you thought of when you were reading the birds. You were you literally thought, wow, Charles would be uncomfortable. Yep. It's called payback for when I can't I can't even speak it aloud. I don't want to bring it up. Keep going. <laughs> what? You're gonna have to tell me after we get off the mic. Anyway. Nicholas Flamel with Oh, with the Paranel. spiders. You're right, fair <laughs> enough. Oh no. <laughs> Moving on. Moving okay. on. So more importantly, Tris does her fear simulation quite well. She gets out of it within three minutes, and Four was like, wow, that was so fast. Three times faster than any other initiate. Is that how also, you imagine Do you Four like that I worked speaks? out today? Like, he doesn't say that, but like, I can just like <laughs> imagine him saying that. Okay. Anyway, so then the second time she goes, she does even better. And then Four like drags her out of the room and is like, you're, he's like, you're divergent. Meanwhile, wait, wait, let me just re- for a second. He's dragging her out of the room, and she's like, "Oh my god, four is dragging me!" And then she's like, "Wait, no, he's literally dragging me, and he's so angry at me." Sorry, but at first she's like, "Oh my god, he's touching me, he's pulling me. We're going to a private chamber." Because basically, so in this second simulation, what ends up happening is Tris is in like this glass box that's filling up with water, and she's able to manipulate manipulate the situation to break the glass. So she's able to, like, her brain is smart enough to realize that she's in a simulation so that she can actually change what's happening, which is what points to, like, you being divergent. Well, because it's something no idiot Dauntless could do, but someone who's maybe smart enough to be an erudite, or I assume that's what it meant. Well, something like that. Like, basically, like, your brain is just elevated enough that, like, you're able to... They say that, like, the divergent people, you're able to identify that you're in a simulation. Like, you can recognize, because that's, like, Tris has her Copamexes. She's like, this isn't real. Whereas, like, everybody else, like, is not able to, like, it's just, like, the idea of, of when you have a dream, when you're dreaming, you usually don't know you're dreaming. Whereas it, they're saying, like, the divergent people, they would be able to, it might take them a second, but, like, they would be able to recognize that this isn't real, that they're in some kind of dream sequence, and that they, no, there's no consequences. Like, they're not going to die. So they're able to manipulate it. And I attributed that, like, this was me, like, maybe giving her more credit, Veronica Roth. But I was like, we know that Tris has, like, erudite tendencies. Like, she has smart tendencies. And so it would make sense that she's able to tell her brain, like, this is a simulation. And maybe not every divergent person has erudite tendencies. But, like, it's the having multiple different, like, ways of thinking and multiple different ways of being as a person that give you the ability to see it's a simulation. Like, like, if maybe if you have strong abnegation tendencies and dauntless tendencies, like, you're in the simulation and you're like, oh, my God, I'm drowning in this box. But you're like, wait, but, like, the selfless person in me is like, who cares if I drown? At least no one else is drowning in the box. And then you're, like, able to, like, take yourself out of the yeah. simulation. So, like, so, Thor obviously sees this and he's like, you're divergent. So, obviously, by him knowing that, you would think, well, maybe he's divergent, too, because how else would he know that? And this makes Tris decide to go and look for the the lady, the dauntless lady who originally gave her aptitude test and told her that she was divergent, which her name is Tori. And Tori tells Trish, basically warns her that, you know, if the dauntless leader leaders find out that she's divergent, they will kill her because the divergent divergents are just seen as some kind of sort of threat. And she knows this because her brother was divergent. She said that his, after chess came back inconclusive, like he matched with multiple factions. He stayed with Dauntless because I believe like they were Dauntless born. And in the simulations, he was doing super duper well, obviously, because he knew how to manipulate the simulation and he would get faster every time until finally the leaders came to like watch, see how good he was. And she said the next day he was gone, like, or the next day his like body was in like the ditch of where the railing is. Like there's a big 
what is it called? A pit. There's a big pit, basically, and, like, his body was down there, and they said that he committed suicide, and she's like, how did he commit suicide? Like, he had a loving family. He was the top of his, like, initiation class. He had, like, I think he was had a girlfriend. Like, why would he have committed suicide? But obviously, like, they killed him because for whatever reason, which, again, at this point in the story, we still don't really understand why divergent people are seen as a threat by, like, the leaders and, like, the government or whatever, but all we do know is that... Being divergent means obviously that you match with multiple factions. So you obviously are not just like this one track person. Maybe you have different ways of thinking. And in sense of these simulations, you're able to manipulate them and identify that it's not real. Well, my theory is that people in the government don't like divergent people because divergent people threaten the status quo. They threaten the organizing system of these factions because people who are divergent seem to do better than people who are only one track and also by proving that you can be like a good and talented and successful person while you know showing characteristics of multiple factions it's like maybe we shouldn't be dividing people in the first place anyway that's my theory (laughs) but after this conversation with tori really importantly we should mention that that like basically confirmed that four is divergent because like he knew the signs of divergence in Triss. And Tori's like, the only way you would know the signs of divergence if is if you were yourself divergent because you would, like, see that you were doing too well and you'd be smart enough to, like, not draw attention to yourself or someone would have told you you were divergent. And this goes to my theory about his name. So I right now I'm saying that, tri- that, that Triss is divergent, not... That Forrest Divergent. <laughs> we know Tristan Divergent. And I think his name comes from his aptitude test showing him he had aptitude for four different factions. So he called himself that when he chose Dauntless. Now, odds are, like we said, he's probably born an erudite, so he probably didn't show abnegation tendencies. Mm-hmm. I would say abnegation or candor would be the two that he didn't show. But, like, my guess right now is that he was born an erudite and he showed four faction aptitude, and that's why he chose it. And that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Okay, I'm glad you have a nice, strong theory. Do you want me to tell you if I think you're wrong or right? Right or wrong? I don't know. I mean, you. I'm sure you know, so probably not. I actually don't. I have, a, I have an idea of, like, what I think. There's, like, two different possibilities. I remember what his name was. Um, but I, I don't... <laughs> I don't think it's your theory, but I don't remember 100% what it is. But it definitely, like, he chose the name. Like, he chose the name, and it means something to him. But I can't remember. Well, yeah, I would hope that, I mean, like, if his parents didn't name him for, then, yeah, no, of course he left their faction. Faction over blood. Come on, like, that's a terrible name. He definitely chose his name, but I believe it's about something else. I think. His four favorite things about Triss. How would he, he... He didn't know Triss. He was a creeper. He was a Peter Malark. He knew her before. He was watching her. He gave her the bread. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so, but I'm glad you have a theory for, for, for where he came from and his name. That's good. We have your theories. We'll see. I think we should get answers by the end of this book about him, like his origin and why he's named, why he just chose the name for. Well, if I'm right on everything, I want you to buy me a coffee. Is there anything else before we wrap up this book? So I just had one thing because I want to do an, 
I want to do a moment where, so reading this, I saw there was a hint for something. Okay, well, actually, I have two hints, which I think, okay, the first hint I didn't, the second hint I didn't talk to you about, but the first hint is, so when um, Triss and the other, like, Dauntless initiates, they go to see the the gates, the, like, fences around the whole community. Like, we talked about how Dauntless protect that. And she sees, like, the Amity boy who was, like, I think he was in abnegation. He came from abnegation and transferred in Amity. They had, like, a small conversation. During that whole scene, like, that scene in the book, there was a moment where, like, Triss, I don't think she says something, but, like, she thinks something that is kind of a hint towards how the rest of the series is going to go and, like, what it's setting it up for. And I was just wondering if you, like, caught that, if you notice anything during that scene um, that you remember. Not anything concrete except the idea that, like, like, I don't remember the conversation that specifically, but I remember her basically saying, like, that, you know, faction, her and the boy, I think his name was Richard, like, that factions, like, aren't a great idea. Like, or not, maybe they didn't say it that explicitly, but basically, like, like, you can love your family and also choose your faction. And, like, those two are supposed to be mutually exclusive. And, again, everything else, just, like, the frame of the book, I'm saying is, like, tear down the system of the factions. So mm-hmm. I don't remember anything specifically, and I don't know if that's okay. what this hint that you're thinking of was. Like, there definitely was something where I was like, that's a clue, you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know. And you definitely have done a better job not telling me what the clue was than when I was like, wow, funny how there are no snakes in this world. Well, I'm saying I want to like, I want to point things out because I'm saying like now reading it, like I'm like, oh, like that's something like that's pointing to like what this is, that this is going to come and like either the end of this book or the next book. Like I just, I saw that and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like I wouldn't have, ne- I wouldn't necessarily notice that on my first read. Well, so I'm that gonna, was one thing. Yeah, which, I didn't. I have a quote, which, like, I'll show you, I guess, at some point, like, maybe when we get, like, when we get to the resolution, yeah. And then, um, my second, like, hint thing has to do with four and where he comes from. The four ways he loves her. (laughs) No. (laughs) With which, um, (laughs) faction he comes from. I don't even, I don't, I don't think I wrote down where it was in the reading, but there was something else that was mentioned that I just was like, Oh, I remember where four is from. So that's just something like, it's not something you would, you wouldn't know. You would never be able to make the connection, but I just wanted to say it. Well, I think my theory is pretty good on four also because he like, he definitely isn't Dauntless born. I think your theory is, is pretty good, but I think your, I think there is a detail that you missed um, in the sense of, but I don't think you wouldn't have thought of it in connection with him. But when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, like they actually like say this. And then you're like, you'll have to tell me when we get there. But yeah. So, but it's a detail. Like I think they mentioned it in the beginning or something, or maybe not the beginning. I can't remember, but I don't want to say anything else, but well, I'm I'm not going to go back and reread to figure it out. No, but by the end of this book, we will, like I said, we'll know about four, like we'll get answers on that. The other hint, um, I think we'll also get answers by the end of this book. I'm pretty sure. So I'll be able to reveal I mean, either way, you just hold on to the quote until then. So I I should be able to reveal those in the next episode. I held on to A World Without Snakes for 
all of Necromancer and... I know. That was... I really, like, served that one up to you. But, yep. you know. Snakes! You were like, Charles, what? I'm like, I, I remember I was like... What? I was scared when they said snakes. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, I think we finished our first Divergent episode. Next week, we're going to read the second half of Divergent. We're going to finish it. So if you do read along, finish the book for next week. Yes, and as always, if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, or you just want to keep in touch with us and talk about Divergent more, remember that you can contact us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at JoinNerdParty or on Instagram at TheNerdParty and Facebook.com slash TheNerdParty. And to find me, I'm at AsiaBonia on Twitter and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. And I'm at C.E. Sheeland on Twitter and at Seashells on Instagram. And remember that as a podcast, by rating and reviewing us, you really help grow the show and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other fantastic podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. And subscribe so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe and have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.